Hello, and welcome to Saving People, Queering Things, a Supernatural podcast. We were previously known as Driver Picks the Podcast, and the episode you're about to listen to was recorded under that name. Though our name has changed as of season three, our show hasn't changed that much. Our structure and theme-based discussions are the same, and we're so glad you're here. Now, let's get on the road. Elena, what is a spoiler alert you would give to a character in this episode? I would definitely tell Dean to avoid purple nurples at all costs. (laughs) (laughs) They're gonna, they're gonna get him in trouble. (laughs) So much trouble. Hello, and welcome to Driver Picks the Podcast, the show where we talk about ghosts, road trips, and free will through every episode of the TV series Supernatural. Today, we are exploring season two, episode 15, Tall Tales, through the theme of growing up. I am Abigail, your host, and joining me today for the second week in a row is Elena. Welcome. Hello. Glad to be back so soon. Yes. Which is a line that Bobby literally says this episode. (laughs) And also I am saying because it's relevant. It is relevant. We're going to move into our series recap, The Road So Far. John traded his life for Dean and died at the hands of the yellow-eyed demon in the first episode of this season. And since then, we have found out that there are more and more special children with strange powers, as well as some hunters that have been trying to kill them all so they don't, quote-unquote, go dark side. John himself told Dean that he had to save Sam or else would have to kill him. And one of the other special children, Ava, who also has visions like Sam, has gone missing. Her fiancé brutally murdered and no new leads. Furthermore, the Winchesters are now fully on the radar of the FBI, with an agent, Victor Henderson, actively trying to track them down, as he believes they are responsible for a large number of murders, corpse mutilations, and other crimes. You know, just an average Tuesday for for the Winchesters. Fair. You know, in his shoes, they do look very guilty of a lot of very creepy things. Yeah. In the previous episode, we saw the return of everyone's favorite demon, Meg, in an episode where she possesses Sam and mucks about quite a lot. That episode is just so distressing on so many levels, but it's so good. (laughs) Yeah. If you want a full discussion about it, that was our episode last week. We had a little too much fun talking about it. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Good episode. Go back and listen to it. But that brings us to this episode and to our 32nd recap. As I just was saying, I did not prepare for this one at all because I thought it would be more fun that way. So I I don't know how this is going to go, but we're going to we're going to attempt it anyway. And we both just rewatched this episode. So yeah, literally like less than an hour ago, I yeah. was watching all of this transpire in front of my face. Yeah, same. So theoretically, we should be well prepared. In Indeed. reality, we shall see. Yeah, only time <laughs> will tell. I think I'm ready. Okay, count you in. Yes. Three, two, one. Okay, so in this episode, really strange things are happening, like things strange even for the supernatural universe, like people having reports of like aliens making them slow dance. But it's not really actually aliens. It is a trickster who is warping reality, setting the Winchesters at odds with each other, and meaning that they are fighting about everything. They bring in Bobby, who helps them figure out that it's a trickster. But at the end of the episode, we find out that maybe it's not a trickster because he doesn't die like a trickster should die. That was perfect. That was so succinct. I, I, 
I'm very curious how I'm going to deliver this now because that was like pretty much the whole thing. I mean, I was very bare bones about that. So there's a lot of, you can tell some interesting fun details. I'm excited to see what you pull out. Ready on your mark, get set, go. Okay. So we start the episode off real creepy with a, with a professor who's being like absolutely questionable. Um, and then we find out the Winchesters are arguing about everything and they're just like totally at each other's throats. And then they invite Bobby to come help them. And Bobby is just like, guys, you need to chill. And they tell them all this weird stuff that's happening. And then Bobby is like, guys, it's right in front of you. You've just been bickering too much. And they realize it's a trickster and then they try to stake him, but he doesn't die. And so that's a thing. And it's yeah. The end. amazing i don't know why i felt the need to like swipe my hand in all these directions like anyone's going to be able to see me gesturing honestly listen to this watching you gesture wildly about the trickster was very enjoyable yeah sorry that that's a that's bonus content you guys won't unfortunately get listening but (laughs) but just know know in your heart that i was gesturing like a maniac as i described that we love the trickster in this episode we're very excited about about his first appearance Richard Spate, who is just a just a legend. Also, in the so young in this episode, he's, he's so, so baby faced. Face. Anytime I watch season like the early seasons, particularly Sam, he looks like an infant. I'm like, you are 16 years old. Yeah. What are you doing trying to be an adult? It's ridiculous. You are still um, Gilmore Girls Dean. They were sweet summer children at that time. Yeah, they really were. And I always forget that because like, I'm used to seeing them at all these different ages. Cause I go mm-hmm. back and watch old stuff and new stuff kind of all over the place. What I mm-hmm. forget is when there's characters that are like recurring. Yeah. I've seen them in a later season. Spoiler alert, Richard Spite's character is gonna be in some other seasons, but seeing him this first instance when he's so young, mm-hmm. it's just like, was a little bit almost jarring and very- yeah. Especially because like, and I won't give spoilers, but just knowing the end of his arc, like knowing how far into the show he goes and all of the things that happen with him, it's just so fun and delicious to like go back and watch this early episode where we just like, you were just meeting him. We have no idea who he is. It's, it was so enjoyable to rewatch that. He's such an interesting character, even just in this episode alone. Mm -hmm. And I think that he makes this episode work really interesting yeah he really does he adds like I can't even describe it to the episodes that he's in it's just this pop where like anytime there's a spate episode I'm just like yes this is it ends up being one of my favorites of that season because he just brings that that magic to it yeah he's got comedic timing I think and like comedic physicality Mm-hmm. um like this bounciness this facial expressions he's just so expressive mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and it were and in, i mean in this episode you know as soon as you find out he's the trickster it's you're like of course he's the trickster he's got this sort of like mischievous playful like when they compare when bobby says you know like tricksters like loki you know like he's got very similar energy to the way loki mm-hmm. is often portrayed in a lot of pieces of media which exactly. will we'll reference Loki again. But yeah, it's now time for us to talk about this episode through our chosen theme. And this week, our theme is growing up. I still think it's so fantastic that you choose these at random. And yet this one could not be more perfect for this particular episode because they, they just start it out 
so childish and so like just typical sibling rivalry nonsense that you expect from young people. Yeah. So it's a really good theme for this week. Yeah. The last episode where we really saw like this big sibling energy and this big like playful energy was Hell House. That's like oh gosh, one. yeah. And we talked a lot in that episode about like the sibling dynamics mm-hmm. that are at play and the same dynamics are here in this episode. Yeah. And that was something I, I mentioned when we first hopped on the call earlier was just that watching the like episode recap for this one is so good because it's just, it's, it's like the highlight reel of Sam and Dean being, you know, idiots together. And I just like, that's a dynamic that I think you lose a lot of in later seasons, but it's, it's done so, so well in this episode. It's flawless this episode. Yeah. This episode's like dialogue is so well written that it's Mm -hmm. it's it's funny and it's snappy and it's witty and and it's this episode's doing some interesting things because it's like bouncing back and forth between real events and like people's perception of events Mm -hmm. and yeah so seamlessly that you're like wait like one person is slightly out of character because they're being perceived a certain way by another character. And that's so, like, it's so masterfully done. Yeah, that like unreliable narrator thing going on just makes it so much funnier because like you can, like as soon as it changes perspectives, you can absolutely tell because they get to play these really, hilariously exaggerated versions of themselves of themselves so like when dean is like describing his interactions with quote-unquote starla he really sees himself as like this romantic hero and i think it's hilarious he's just like please lives are at stake and i'm just like jensen you're being so over just the top hands but... it up it's so good and then like you know the and then the, when he describes sam he's just like blah 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 blah, blah. like it's just it's so funny like the way that they interact this episode, getting to kind of like play these exaggerated versions of themselves. Yeah, it seems like it must have been a very, a really fun episode to film for all of those reasons. It's episodes like this that make me really wonder like how much of this was scripted and how much of it was, you know, Jensen and Jared just having like that really good bro chemistry. Mm -hmm. Like there was, there's one particular moment in the episode where, um, where Sam just goes, what? And the way that he says it, I'm like, that's Jared. That's full Jared bleeding through just because he's- That's maybe him authentically (laughs) reacting. Yeah, it's just like they, and I know that they do that a lot, that like, you know, they have these just really good banter and on the spot sort of moments. So like, this is one of those episodes where like, I don't know if it's ever been asked at a con, maybe it has, and some listener will be able to point that out for us. But like, I always- would want to know like how much of this was improv and how much of this is what was in the script you know yeah yeah is there any like particular thing where things where you like saw this theme of growing up like playing out in the episode I think yeah my favorite moment for it and I mean you know this is pretty much the end of the episode but just I love the way that they have the moment at the car like when they're you know like basically they just you know killed the trickster you know hand quotes and then they're on the way like out and Bobby's just like yo we need to get out of here the way that they kind of like stop and have this moment with each other where neither of them actually says sorry 
but they both know that that's exactly what they're saying is just a really beautiful, mature bro moment that just, it's weird because like with an episode that's so funny, you almost kind of need like a serious palate cleanser, which is usually the opposite. Like, you know, usually you have heavy trauma and then you need something to make you laugh. But it was like that moment specifically at the end of the episode where they both acknowledge like, hey, I was being really ridiculous. You were being really ridiculous. We both were. We're Mm -hmm. sorry. Let's move on from this. But the way in which they do it is very in character for the two of them because, you know, no chick flick moments or whatever. Like, Mm -hmm. so it's this, it's this nice moment of growth, but that's very specific to how each of their characters behaves. Yeah. I, I hadn't specifically made that connection to the theme and I like really appreciate that because it kind of connects to like one of the things I was thinking about was how it's really interesting how they are like so much of the, the, the childishness of this, their behavior in this episode is coming from like inaccurate perceptions. And like, mm-hmm. even, you know, Sam says, you know, we've just been stuck with each other for too long. And obviously the trickster is messing with them and trying to like goad them into this childish sort of behavior Mm -hmm. but it's also like that's what not just children that's what like we do when we're like young and are not acting like very grown up is like we Mm -hmm. kind of fall back on our like our own perspective and our own perceptions of other people (laughs) this is this maybe this will get me in trouble today when I was watching it I was really frustrated with Sam in this episode like more than I was (laughs) expecting to be for such a goofy episode And Mm -hmm. the reason for that was because I was noticing both of them have inaccurate perceptions of each other. Mm -hmm. Sam's inaccurate perception of Dean is that Dean is stupid. Yep. I love Sam with my entire heart. I can't not. I'm aggressively Dean coded. So I love Sam. I have intense affection (laughs) for him and like intense, like I love the arcs that Sam is experiencing in this season around purity. He goes through so much this season. Yeah. It's a really, Sam's having a really hard time, even just in the previous episode, but there is this occasional thread with Sam where He's like, no, I know best. I'm right. Mm-hmm. And also I'm the smartest one here. Yeah, he's he's got that like, you know, younger brother, but I'm the more mature one sort of yes. mentality. And it's yes. really, really evident this episode. Yeah. And he buys into, I think, sometimes the way that other people perceive Dean or the way that other people play off of Dean, like whether it's John or other hunters or um, other people of authority that they interact with who take mm-hmm. Dean's charisma and his flirty nature and his sort of laid back personality and they take it to be like oh you're not serious or you're oh you're not smart oh you didn't you know graduate high school you didn't go to college you just sort of like bummed around you know and I think sometimes Sam is really good at recognizing that that's not that Dean is actually incredibly intelligent but there's a lot of times especially in the first couple of seasons where Sam is like no I'm kind of better than you because I went to college and it shows up in this episode because every single perception he has of Dean is that Dean is like stupid, that he's just like hooking up Mm -hmm. with people like, like an idiot. Like he's, and I was kind of frustrated by it because I was like, that's really shitty way. Like it's a really like immature way to think about, Mm -hmm. you know, your brother who you've experienced his intelligence, like daily, weekly, And it's also just like the show, I think it's a flaw in the show at large that they, they behave like hunters are all just a bunch of like, you know, 
stupid lugs who are like, you know, shoot first, ask questions later. <laughs> but like to be a hunter, you have to, you have to be so smart. You have to be really attentive to your surroundings. Like there's a lot that goes into it. And I think it's just this, this weird way that the show treats mm-hmm. hunters in general. And that's what always makes Sam, I think, feel like such an outsider because even Sam has that perception that hunters are, you know, these like very specific type of people. And he's always, you know, seen himself as like, no, I want to go to college. I want to be a lawyer. I want a real life, you know, yeah. as if hunters lives aren't real, you know, right. and or it's as- just really weird. It is really weird. And it comes connect connects to back to our, our theme because like Sam's perception of being like a grown up or of being mm-hmm. like a mature adult is that you get a real job, you get a real like stable life. Like hunting mm-hmm. feels like not that to him. Like what you yeah. like what you just said. And it's and and so he kind of character he as a as a distinction between himself and the hunting world, sometimes he projects that onto hunting. Yeah. He like he sees it as this thing that you need to grow up and move on from. And he's like, well, I did that. And then I got roped back into this. So he's got this like, I'm in the early seasons, he's got this sort of like twinge of like resentment about it all. Just like, I'm not like, you know, I'm not like other girls. Like he's, <laughs> I'm not here, got, I'm not like, here for the energy. same reasons. Yeah. You know, but, at, but at, when you look at it, like you're here for the exact same reason. The reason you stayed is because the same thing that happened to your dad happened to you. He's and there so for the just, exact same reason as every other, as most other hunters, which is because of personal tragedy. Yeah, exactly. And it's like it, him even more so than Dean, because Dean didn't go through what John went through. No. Like, you know, he, well, <laughs> that's another conversation for another day. At this but, point, like, Dean has not gone through what John there, went thank through. Thank you. Thank you very much. (laughs) He has gone through a different, he went through a childhood loss of a parent and then was raised in the hunting life. Yeah, as opposed to both John and Sam, who up to this point in the story have both experienced like a a, a romantic partner being murdered in front of them. Mm -hmm. Like that's a very different kind of trauma. Um, And I think it's so interesting that like Dean says at the one point during this episode, he's like, consider reparations for emotional trauma. And I'm just like, Dean, what do you know about acknowledging emotional trauma? Nothing. You know, zero things about acknowledging emotional trauma. You've been refusing to acknowledge your emotional trauma about John dying in the entire season. Yeah. And just, but, you know, slashes tires and he demands, you know, hundreds of dollars in reparations via a money clip. Like it just, it's so, it's like, that's rich coming from you, Dean. Yeah. It's so funny. Like the, the whole growing up thing too, because I think like, when you think about that from like their childhood experiences, like it's almost like Sam sees Dean as still kind of stuck in this, like, you are here because you were raised in this as a child and so you didn't choose this as an adult so it can't possibly be a grown-up decision where sam's like yeah, i got out and then i chose it as an adult so this is my grown-up decision so i've like thought this through and he's like dean's just doing it because he's never thought of anything else or he doesn't want to do anything else, or he's not capable of anything else and i don't think sam like actually thinks dean is stupid but when he's frustrated no. he gets a little bit of a superiority complex and so the trickster mm-hmm. like exploits that and and pulls that out in contrast to like Dean's perception of of himself, because Dean really cares about being 
intelligent and good at his job. And it's like very like, evident when he's telling the story, he's swinging the other way, but I'm way more sympathetic to the way that Dean skews the story because Dean doesn't paint Sam as stupid. He paints Sam as kind of annoying and like yeah. bugging him, but he doesn't paint Sam. He doesn't paint Sam's moral character or his intelligence as bad. Yeah. he. It's like the worst thing he does is thinks that Sam is too caring. Like, <laughs> yeah, come yeah. on. Just, yeah. And it's more of a... Does- yeah (laughs) if that doesn't say the most about dean winchester that his his idea of a character flaw is someone being too like too sweet or too kind or you know too focused on on the job it's just like dean you i just want to pat him on the head sometimes it's this interesting disparity in that i noticed this time watching it that did make me frustrated and i was like trying to work through my frustration and be like okay like, I, I think, and I think I appreciate that coming back full circle, like, I appreciate that the end of the episode does have them actually growing up and that they do get to the point, yeah. even partway through the episode where they go, oh, we're being played. We're being messed with. They're trying to make us turn yeah. on each other and act like, and act immature and irresponsible. We can flip that narrative and actually trust each other and trust each other's intelligence because Dean goes into that situation. They've made that plan. Dean's the one that goes in and faces the trickster at first. Like he, Sam clearly goes and goes, oh no, I do trust Dean's intelligence. I do trust Dean's ability to walk into this situation alone for several minutes before I show up. Yeah, like they they trust him. They basically trust Dean to be the bait. And (laughs) again, here we are again. Because that's never happened before on this show. Honestly, and um, then it gets literally thrown around by some women for like a good 30, 40 seconds. And yeah. So, very interesting. Also, this is an absolute tangent, but I have to point it out because it made me laugh so much more than anything else both times I watched it that I had to say something the fact that when the trickster like you know disappears or whatever because you know all this is an illusion the fact that the bed and everything doesn't disappear yes Yes, I wanted to point that out too because I was like wait why is the bed still there because that implies that whatever's (laughs) going on in that theater that that's just the set (laughs) and I have questions so many questions yeah so many unanswered questions about that it just because it's like because the chainsaw disappears the guy disappears the women disappear but the bed stays exactly and the women matched the bed like they were clearly outfitted to look like they were like all part of the same fantasy for dean which is like which is also funny because it's the same women that appeared in the night before when he was in his apartment so it was like this really, I, yeah, I, I have canonical questions regarding that, but <laughs> I don't think I'll ever get that answer. But it just, it was so funny to me. I was like, <laughs> I have to mention this on the episode because I just, I had to pause because I couldn't stop laughing. I just, I don't know why. What were supernatural was, writers? Uh, what were you, what was being felt? Fa- what were they doing in this theater with this yeah, bed? Like, what, what were you envisioning? <laughs> what what production was being staged in this theater that and, featured a heart-shaped and, bed yeah like i don't know and red curtains it's, a, so it's as, a, a as a former as a former college film student i i have several ideas that all frighten me um <laughs> but you know i'm just 
gonna have that's one of those just one of those great unanswered things that i'll just will, will haunt my nightmares about this show forever what <laughs> was the point of the bet <laughs> yeah yeah a, a like kind of like continuity thing that's not related to the theme but i need to mention it is do we generally ever see Dean being really gross and messy past season three? I mean, I know that this is, is like a perception that Sam has of Dean, but it's a weird perception that I don't, I'm yeah. trying to see any grounding in actual canon that we've yeah. seen. Have we seen Dean being very messy? I don't feel like we do. Like, especially because I feel like the the default thing to go to when thinking about like, how does Dean treat stuff is to think about his car like his car like the car never has just trash sitting around and like and then you know I mean this is you know kind of spoiler but when they get a more permanent home like later seasons down the road anytime you see Dean's room it's always really tidy Mm -hmm. so like I and his weapons too he always takes really good care of his he seems always like very organized even in the early seasons his like number one like we need Dean to be having some kind of character action while talking about something is he's cleaning his guns yeah so it just more than is probably necessary I don't know how often you have to clean guns but probably not as much as they seem to yeah you know it's just it well that's and I, I I don't know what which part of it is like a film thing or which part of it is kind of a character thing because like giving a character some kind of physical business yeah. while they're talking is generally like a good idea because it it makes it more visually interesting rather than just like hi we're both going to sit here and stare at each other and talk which lol I guess that's what a podcast is but they also you know. also do that a lot on the show <laughs> they, do. they do a lot of sitting around talking without doing anything so it's nice when they do something yeah you know so it's like I don't know which part is the characterization and which part is the like we are just filmmakers trying to give Dean something to do interesting right. in the frame but you know but you don't see Sam doing that a lot so no, like it's something no, that's happened. specific to Dean's character like it's Sam same- is usually on with the laptop. his laptop yep yeah. that's usually <laughs> the, this. This, this this yeah so get this <laughs> that's yeah that's usually the, the equivalent for sam is like he's on a laptop or yeah with a book mm-hmm. has a bunch of books open and it's like well the lore says like yeah. oh my gosh so, so it's interesting because i like most of the examples that i can think of are of like characters saying dean is messy not of us actually seeing it which makes me suspicious because anytime in canon someone we only know a character trait because other characters talk about it not because we've ever actually mm-hmm. seen it and a show as long running this where we have had examples of seeing it and we have examples of the opposite yeah it's just I think I'm I tend to lean towards like this is a perception of Sam Sam's that like Dean's getting on my nerves and he's taking my stuff which to be fair he is messing with Sam's laptop so that's fair yeah but it, it does feel more like a, another you know unreliable narration strikes again kind of thing like we yeah. just we're constantly seeing what people think of Dean and not so much like who Dean actually is he doesn't really get a ton of chances throughout the series to really accept who he actually is like he he does so much of the viewing of himself through the other people that he cares about Mm -hmm. and the roles he inhabits exactly and it's also like it kind of semi-related to like you know dean uh you know this idea of dean being messy and going back to the thing you were saying about like you know dean is you know seen as stupid by a lot of people the like 
when he has that whole bit where he's like, you know, <laughs> it's almost poetic. Actually, it's more like a limerick. Like that's, he's so smart. Like normal people don't know what the difference between something being poetic and a limerick is. Yeah. And it's just like, you know, it, it reminded me there's a, this isn't a spoiler, but like way, way later in the show, there's a moment where he's like, you know, somebody asks him about Vonnegut and he's like, you know, Cat's Cradle Vonnegut or Slaughterhouse, <laughs> you know, and it's just, okay. he's, he's so much smarter than people give him credit for. That I was literally about to make the exact same comment you just made about the, the Vonnegut reference because I was watching that episode, that's Monster at the End of This Book. I was watching yeah. that episode like last night and I was noticing that and just being like, yeah, that's, and it's always funny because in those moments, Sam often like, literally they will film, they will put the camera on Sam and he'll be like, turning and like looking at Dean and like tilting his head and being like being a little bit confused when that line happens I th- I'm pretty sure Dean's response is like he says to Sam like what I read yeah you know it just it's this like why do y'all not like what do you think he does all the time yeah it makes me think about just how like growing up is about like being willing to change your perceptions when you're wrong <laughs> like willing yeah. being willing to and being willing to be surprised by people who you thought were one thing and turned out to be another Absolutely. which is a lot of people in this episode they both mm-hmm. have to like confront who the who their brother really is and yeah and yeah and also just like in terms of like how people see themselves like the all of the characters that are you know the victims of this episode are people who don't see themselves as you know they show that they keep saying in the episode like they're dicks like these they're just mean people and rude people Mm -hmm. and there's this kind of relation to growing up in that everybody in this episode is kind of like being expected to to face who they really are you know, like all of these mean yeah. people are being punished for the fact that they were mean. Then you've got these two characters who are like, you know, Sam and Dean are like fighting with each other, but they realize that they aren't as mad at each other as they thought they were. There's a really interesting dynamic going on with all of the characters in this episode. And it's interesting because I even connects with like growing up, growing up doesn't even necessarily mean you're more mature because like the victims exactly. are, are grown up people who are perceived yeah. in a certain way. Like the one is you know a really well-renowned teacher and he's a professor of ethics and morality yeah like, so he's like by all accounts and purposes grown up and then the other mm-hmm. victim is you know yes he's he's young but he's he's in a leadership role mm-hmm. and but he's being you know a douche about it it's their growing up is also like yeah facing who you really are or being mm-hmm. forced to face who you really are which is what the trickster is doing which is so so funny because the trickster is mm-hmm. himself painting a perception yeah and and it's like it's a really fun like you know kind of plants that seed in your head of like this character isn't who they say they are you know yeah and it just and that gets fleshed out in later seasons and it's just absolutely delightful to unpack but like it's it's interesting that that would be the first the first episode that we ever see a trickster in is an episode about things not being what they seem and then mm-hmm. that's literally like the whole thesis statement of the trickster is that yeah he's not who we think he is even he's not even who he says he is who they you know? think he is who he thinks he is it's a whole who he lets them believe he is yep <laughs> like it's just oh it's moments like that where I'm like gosh darn it's supernatural why'd you have to so bad at being good just good at being bad it's it's a whole thing (laughs) yes um 
the last like thing I want to talk about in terms of the theme, and if you have anything else, we'll also do that. But the last thing I wanted to talk about was Bobby, because Bobby, Bobby, is, <laughs> Bobby is like he is the person in this episode, and I would just argue in general, like ushers the boys along in their process of growing up like yeah Bobby is the real father figure of this show and when I say that I mean he's well he's the healthy father figure of this show (laughs) like the way that he like he's like I'm surprised at you too it's just such dad mode such dad mode yeah and we've met Bobby like a handful of times and every time we've met him there's been elements of this like the very first time we meet him Um, one of the very first times we meet him, Sam puts his whole body in front of Bobby to like protect him very much like you would a parent, Mm -hmm. you know, or there's, you know, they go to him in the, in the previous episode to this one, like he helps Mm -hmm. them with everything that's happening when Dean's in the hospital in, in the beginning of the season, like Mm -hmm. Bobby's done a lot of parental sort of things, but this episode just normalizes him as this parent figure because it's not like a like like a lot of the other situations so far have been like life or death situations where like yeah this really cemented him yeah because this is just like a normal ass hunt like yes it's not going well but like I'm confident that they probably eventually would have figured it out without Bobby but the fact that like Bobby comes in and just like dads them and it just sort of knocks their heads together and goes you fools grow up. (laughs) It's absolutely brilliant. The middle of season two, I think is that's the moment when I think the show writers realized, oh crap, we really need to keep Bobby around. Like before that, like in, in his very first episode, you know, at the end of season one, he was obviously stood out as a fan favorite. And that's why they brought Jim Beaver back to do more episodes in season two. But I think that this like mid season two episode arc is what secured his place in supernatural canon yeah. as like the father figure that they never had and and they just continue to expound upon that as the seasons go on yeah. and it just it's brilliant in this episode and they have the opportunity to do that now because john's not around i think they're able to exactly they're able to explore what sam and dean are like when they're interacting with another hunter and a hunter that's in a kind of parental figure and a testament to like the chemistry that Jim Beaver has with Mm -hmm. Jensen and Jared, that he's able to like play that line of hunter, but also like very much able to see them, able to understand them, able to like Mm -hmm. lovingly, but firmly like call them out on their shit. And like, this is just going to be the start of Bobby's really affectionate, close relationship with them. And I really love it. Yeah. It's one of my favorite things about this episode in particular, just because John is never, Never in any of the episodes that we see him in up to this point, he was never like a loving father. He never feels even very parental. He's a drill sergeant. He like is... they call him sir. Yeah, he is in charge of Sam and Dean when he's around, mm-hmm. but he does not ever feel like emotionally available to them. Yeah. And Bobby, on the other hand, just really gets to come in and like, just even it's subtle, but like how gentle he is when he first comes in. He's like, oh, it's kind of nice to see you guys, you know, so soon. Like, I'm so glad you called, you know, what's going on? Like, he just exudes care for these boys Warm. in a way that John could never in a million years dream of. And the thing is, like, Bobby has an ability to like say 
the things that are true to them, Mm -hmm. to call them out very firmly, to be like, get your heads out of your asses. Mm -hmm. This is what's going on. (laughs) But he never loses this sort of warmth. Like Bobby is an intrinsically warm character, as opposed to like Mm -hmm. John, who's a very cold sort of character, like um, in terms of the, the, the general what they bring to a scene, even just in their, like when I think even of like their movements, like Bobby, yes, Bobby is a hunter, but he moves a lot more fluidly. But when I think about like John, John's very like rigid. Yeah, he comes off as very sharp. Mm -hmm. Yeah, sharp is a good word. It's just why Bobby, every time he's around, feels like he brings this sense of connection. Yeah, and like I said, just the line specifically, I'm surprised at you too. It's such a dad thing to say. And I just- But such a loving dad thing to say too, is, you know, he could just, he could just as easily have come in and been like, actually just berated them for falling for this trick. But he doesn't. He goes like, yeah, you're idiots who like fell for this stupid trick, but also like, Mm -hmm. it's fair that you did. And like, I'm just going to help you out of this. Yeah, that's what it is. It's the fact that he's, he is willing to help them. John is like, has this expectation of them, but he doesn't seem to like do anything besides like you said, like berate them in order to get them to do what he needs them to do. Like yeah. he he is like this this like rod, whereas like Bobby is like just a warm hug who's like, you know, there to help you through this thing. And and Bobby isn't afraid to take that leadership role when they need his help. Like, I'm going to say something that is going to yeah. make us both go, uh, because I'm like, Bobby comes when they call, even oh. when it's not a life or death situation. I'm fine. This is fine. Bobby comes oh. when they fucking call. And we have seen like three or four instances with John where he did not come when they called him. And when they even were when he was in the dying. same fucking town. And like. Bobby shows up for a run-of-the-mill hunt where they just need someone with research experience, honestly. They don't need Bobby ultimately to to win this fight. They Bobby, like, in the actual fight, like, not that Bobby's useless, but like Bobby is the researcher in this in this episode. But he comes, yeah. he comes like instantly. Mm-hmm. I just love it. Like he does, he doesn't even need to think about it. He just knows that the boys need his help. And they didn't feel comfortable saying it on the phone. So he knows that like, he's not going to just leave them hanging. So we'll figure it out yourselves. Click. Like that's not in his character to do. And I think that especially to like kind of tie it back to the theme, like in order to grow up, I think you need to have a healthy example to look to. Mm -hmm. And so the fact that they have Bobby in this episode and he's the one that really helps them to see each other clearly. Yes, yes. And like, you know, Sam, he didn't steal your laptop. And Dean, he didn't hurt your car. He gets them to to see each other for who they actually are. Yeah, And that's, that's something that I think is like a lot of times when you run into people who behave in an immature way or who struggle to grow up, it's because they didn't have that healthy influence to guide them. Yeah. And so it's just, it's really good that like, this ended up being the theme for the for this week because just like Bobby is so integral to helping them grow up and to have him be there for this episode is just like perfect it's yeah that makes me feel a lot of things it also just makes me really grateful because I think you know yes it's a goofy episode and like Bobby helps him in that sort of 
really literal sense of helping to them to see each other accurately. But Bobby also just like helped them grow up to be more conscientious hunters. Like Bobby is the one mm-hmm. that tells them when they are exercising the demon in Meg. Bobby's the one that says there's a girl yeah. in there. Bobby's the one that is is like constantly saying there is a way to hunt and mm-hmm. that is mature, that is grown up. He's saying, you know, you can, he's saying you're going to grow up no matter what. But what kind of person are you going to grow up to be? And Bobby mm-hmm. is an example of what they can grow up to be. And it's exactly. a good example because it's not vengeful. It's not needlessly violent. It's it's very loving. It's very loving and it's very consistent. And it's very, Bobby is one of the only people who I don't think ever calls Dean, like implies that Dean is stupid. Points out when Dean is, when Dean, when he, when Dean is playing stupid and he'll be like, ah, no, 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 no. You don't get to do that. I know how smart you are. And Mm -hmm. like, it's, and with Sam too, like he's able to, like the previous episode, he doesn't treat Sam any differently after what happened in the previous Mm -hmm. episode. He is, and and Sam knows it. Sam knows that he's safe with Bobby, despite the fact that Bobby knows all of the things that have been happening. Mm -hmm. Like Bobby absolutely knows in that last episode that he killed Steve Wandell. He knows it for sure, without question. And yet he gives them this subtle, like his guys are gonna be looking for blood. So you boys should get out of here. Like he, like the fact that Sam could literally kill another hunter and Bobby forgives him because he knows it wasn't Sam's fault. Like, can you imagine how John would have reacted? Yeah, because it wasn't Sam, exactly. I'm gonna try to figure out a non-spoilery way to say this. But like, there's a moment in a couple seasons later where Bobby is very cold to Sam. And that is the dead giveaway that like during that episode, Bobby was being possessed. Yeah. Because like, yeah, yeah, because- Bobby loses his warmth, his warmth towards them. And, And it just, I remember when I watched that episode for the first time, I was like, what is going, Bobby doesn't talk like this to them. What's happening? And then by the end of the episode, it of course made perfect sense. But like, it's just, it's it's a testament to Jim Beaver too in the way that he plays that character. Like he brings, and I think it helps, you know, like, of course, you know, acting, you can be anyone you want to be, but Jim Beaver himself is a dad and he's a very, yeah. it seems like he's a very loving, caring father. Yes. And so he really, I think was able to bring that into this role in just like a gorgeous way and this episode is like the just the dissertation on why bobby is the best father figure in the entire series <laughs> like yeah. oh he is a safe place to land for both Sam and Dean. Oh. equally equally for both of them and there's so few characters in the show that are safe places for both sam and dean yeah oh that's just oh. like you said that makes me feel a lot of things yeah this ended up being a, a bobby stand cast by accident this episode Honestly, but i'm okay with it anytime bobby shows up we'll make it a bobby stand cast because <laughs> he deserves just... it and he's one of the few characters in the show that i have like you know no notes i don't have any yeah i have very just... few critiques of anything that he does at any point in the show which is saying something yeah he's just he's the one character where you're just like you know it's like you're looking at everybody else and you're like screw you screw you screw you you're good screw you like <laughs> he's just exactly he's absolutely he's absolutely the cinnamon roll that we don't deserve 
So we're going to move into our going meta segment. We're tracking lore, the Bechdel test, pop culture, queer interpretations, all that fun, juicy stuff. Bechdel test. So abysmal. Oh my God. This one is. Every woman in this episode, I feel bad for every actor that, like every female actor that was in this episode. I'm sorry for the role you were forced to play. It sucked. All of them sucked. Like, yeah, because what's her name? Jen at the beginning, um, who's just like, oh my God, it's like room 669. She's a sexist caricature. It's yeah, gross. she's so absurd. Despite, and despite she the gets, fact that she's kind of right. Like she's actually the one that has made a connection that's meaningful. Like yeah. and yet she gets completely dismissed by the guy as like you're just being dumb. And it's it's just so like it's oh it's so stereotypical. And poor, like we need to pour one out for Starla or whatever her name is, because we don't actually know. Uh, because Dean doesn't remember, God damn it, Dean. Like doesn't remember her actual name. Come on. Yeah. And and Sam thinks it's Starla, which I just I don't know. Something tells me it wasn't Starla. Yeah, but well, like and both of their perceptions of it. Like we talked a lot about their perceptions of that scene, but like both mm-hmm. of their perceptions of her pair her down to only mm-hmm. a sex object, which is yep. a horrible way to look at anyone and often the way that women get presented in this show and that's unnecessary they didn't need to do that she's the epitome of the sexy lamp trope which I don't, are you familiar with the sexy yes. lamp trope yes okay. maybe you want to explain yeah. the sexy lamp trope for sure. our listeners yes for listeners who don't know the sexy lamp trope is uh the idea that you could take if you can take a woman in a scene and replace her with a sexy lamp and nothing changes about the scene. Like she is literally as good as a piece of attractive furniture, then that is not good representation for women. Um, and she just like, especially down to the fact that like in the, in the, the way that the camera frames her, they start with her legs and like just pan up. And so it's like the first time we see her, you start with her bare legs and it pans up and she's in a short skirt, crop top. And she's like, you know, completely drunk off her ass. And then the next time we see her, she's in like, you know, stockings and this, you know, very finely like trimmed black dress. And it's just like, like both of them are just so cringe, so stereotypical. It was a nightmare. And she and like comparing like in that scene, like Starla, like quote unquote Starla, that that version of perception, um, the way that like, so her and Dean are both very drunk, but she, but Dean drunk is still, his portrayal still has some, I think some dignity to it. Not yep. a lot because yep. Sam's perception <laughs> is, pretty, because Sam's perception in that moment is that Dean is stupid and horny, uh-huh. but like a little bit of dignity still in that scene he's he's still afforded that starla has afforded none of that the way that she talks about him i was like he can barely string a sentence together they could have accomplished the same character study they were going for with sam and dean without Mm -hmm. resorting to the sexy lamp trope exactly yeah like it's it was the especially these early season like ones are just so overt and like part of my brain sits here and tries like attempts to justify it because it's like oh well it was like 2007 but like 
it was 2007. 2007. Like, that's, that's not that long ago. And yet, like the way, the way that like, and I feel like Supernatural is such an interesting show to mark like Mm -hmm. how how media has has grown like media obviously still has way more to do in terms of like getting better representation on every front people of color women queer people non-binary representation all of it needs to be better Mm -hmm. but it's also way better than it was in 2005 it's it's considerably better but it it (laughs) but the bar is like in the basement and now we're kind of like digging underneath it (laughs) like we might be at the top of the basement stairs in terms of where we're at right now but season one and two of supernatural are like low levels beneath the floor just like terrible representation (laughs) it is such an interesting show like you said to mark the passage of time because i think of like we have some we have some good female care we have a couple good female characters in the first couple of seasons but they're few and far between um yeah and they're never given enough screen time any of the occasions yeah and and as the show goes on we get less of the sexy lamp trope even when we have mm-hmm. one-off female characters that only are in one episode because that's always the mm-hmm. case there's always a lot of one-off characters in general but i think of yeah, like the difference men between, and women yeah yeah and i think it's but i think of the difference between like some of the the characters in these early seasons and the way that women in general are being presented. And then I compare it to a character like Charlie um, or Amara from the later seasons where they are not given the same treatment. Like even even like comparing like someone like Joe in this season, Mm -hmm. who is a fantastic character, but is still sexualized in weird ways. And then you think of like, Mm -hmm some of the later later female characters who not saying they never are but it is does become less frequent and it's an interesting progression of like they of like the show yeah because you get I mean like again I I'm a huge fan of Joe as a character um she's Mm -hmm. one of my favorites from the early seasons um but like even compare how the writers treated her Mm -hmm. versus how they treat Charlie how they treat Claire I think Claire oh is one of the most wonderfully nuanced characters that when y'all get to the later seasons we're gonna have so much fun with Claire discourse because she's exceptional and Claire's a good one to compare with Joe actually yeah because they're both you know like these young women or whatever and so like to see how they treat Claire versus how they treat her mm-hmm. is just such a dramatic change yeah. and you aren't able to see that happen with a lot of shows anymore because shows don't stay on for very long. And so the fact that Supernatural is one of these weird shows that happens to like straddle this gap and like mm-hmm. experienced this time where representation was absolute, excuse my language, it was absolute shit versus, <laughs> okay, it's it's better. <laughs> yeah but, <laughs> like you said we've maybe we're maybe almost out of the basement we might yeah we're we're so close to the first floor we're so close that's our Bechdel test in terms of locations this episode takes place in uh Springfield Ohio we do know that it was like semi-recent to the events of the last episode just yeah. because of Bobby's acknowledgement in terms of the filming locations, the only one kind of of note is that it's actually filmed at the School of Theology building at the University of British Columbia. That's the 
like Crawford Hall that they film outside of. Funny that it's a school of theology. That's just very funny to me. That is such a, (laughs) such a like interesting behind the scenes tidbit. Yeah. Yeah. Next up is our pop culture. Which I think the most, the closest we get to like pop culture stuff, I think would probably be all of the like urban legends that are straight out of tabloids. Oh yes. Yeah. The alligator one is my favorite. Yeah. It's by far the most feral. Well, actually, no, I don't know if you can get more feral than dancing, slow dancing with aliens, um, which is just, that's one of my favorite, like, facts about supernatural canon that I love to troll people who don't know about supernatural with (laughs) it's like guess the canon did they ever mention slow dancing with aliens and people be like no why would any show mention that I'm like yep oh my gosh would you believe lastly in our going meta segment we have our gaydar which is our sexuality and gender connections of the episode there's so much to say Dean gets Dean is bait again he gets thrown around by the trickster, actually, because <laughs> it's these women, but it's these women that the trickster is conjured of yeah. nothing. So that's interesting. The way that Dean sees himself in the whole Starla interaction. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. we've already addressed how Starla is, is written terribly and how they just don't give her enough. But the fact that Dean views this interaction with this girl which we will never know the truth of how the interaction actually went down because of the unreliable narration of the Mm -hmm. episode but the fact that dean describes her as looking at him it's like looking into the sun like that's how dean wants to be seen by people that he has feelings for and people he's interested in and i'm just like bro is it, is it totally straight to want to be looked at like someone staring into the sun? It's a very I don't know. poetic way of saying that. Yeah. For like, that to come out of your own brain, son. Also, you know, the whole intelligence, like being a really sexy trait, um, which isn't yeah. gender specific. That's not gender specific thing at all, but it's, it's, it's a really interesting piece in this episode where he, it's not just about like hooking up with someone who's hot. He's like, no, I like also like, intelligence is really sexy yeah he's he sees himself as an intellectual like and that's that it's one of the rare glimpses that we get into the way that dean sees himself and where it's something that's kind of on the more positive end of the spectrum yeah because usually it's just dean being like i am shit and i suck and i'm the worst and i'm a killer and blah blah but like to have dean just be like no like i was emotionally invested in this beautiful you know mysterious woman who was a professor of anthropology or, or and, a grad student and you I know, can keep like, up, and I can keep up with intelligent people intelligent people I could I find intelligent people attractive and intelligent people find me attractive I exactly. wonder if that comes back to his relationship with Cassie because Cassie yes. is like one of these highly intelligent characters that Dean is Dean's first relationship back when he's yeah like and like 20. up to that point she's his only relationship the way that the canon yeah. presents it he's like she's the only person that he ever looks at as being something that was more than a hookup to him and like she was, she was a, his girlfriend and she was a super smart college student in that episode it's presented like dean was the emotionally vulnerable one yeah oh for sure you know, he was the one that was just like, yeah, well, you know, she's like, I didn't want to hurt you. And he's like, well, you did. Dean, sweetie, are we acknowledging our emotions? What's happening? <laughs> like, it was just a really nice glimmer of like, wait a minute, Dean 
knows that he has feelings, bless mm-hmm. his little heart. Yeah. Also, I want you to make the one comment you're going to make, the one comment at the end of this line oh. here, even though it's spoiler. <laughs> Um, it's funny oh yes this is definitely spoilery but if uh just i'm sorry everyone it has to be said he wants someone to stare at him like they're staring into the sun and i'm not saying the cast does that later but i'm not not saying it either <laughs> listen that boy spends 12 seasons staring at dean like he's the sun yeah. and the fact that that's how dean wants to be seen just I, a fun it, little tidbit for us today it takes me out every time you're welcome <laughs> listeners i will apologize for nothing <laughs> no. <laughs> here here so our last segment for today is going to be our theme songs for this week based on our discussion and the one i have to bring is actually oh oh there's one other thing that i didn't mention that i wanted to mention oh here's okay the line. dean is talking to the girls that are not real that the trickster is conjured um and you know he's being like i know you're not real like i know this is this is fake and they're like well we could still have a good time and he's like you know i'm a sucker for a happy ending which (laughs) (laughs) like there is things to unpack there but all of them are spoilery but the concept yeah. of being a sucker for a happy ending was just like a line that stuck in my brain and I couldn't yeah, let it Dean. go. And so I, yeah. and I Googled it to make sure I had like heard the quote, right. And to like, and, and then it came and this on random, a song <laughs> came up that's called sucker for a happy ending. And I, so it's, it's the song I'm choosing for this week. It, because it's not even on like Spotify. It's on like a music sharing site that I will link. That first line of the song, woke up early just to see the sun. Like we just got done talking about how he wants to be looked at like he's looking into the sun. <laughs> That's brilliant. Um, Accidentally brilliant. And I, I, this, it's what I'm bringing for our episode mixtape today. Oh Sucker for a Happy God. Ending by um, Captain which will be linked in the episode description. That's brilliant. Uh, my my episode uh, theme song was a little more abstract, but I basically went to my playlist and like, you know, songs that I love. And I was like, all right. I was like, what's a song that has like the same energy as this episode? And it came across me by total accident, but I was like, this is it. It's the song, uh, So What by Pink. Um, that song to me is how the tricksters entire energy is just like it it's such a funny like it's just chaos it's just chaos absolute chaos very much a fuck you kind of song and i just feel like that's the energy the trickster has so i was like that's gonna be my theme song for this week (laughs) i love it i love it and it's gonna be very much the energy he's gonna bring into every time we see him it's a little bit of like basically of like (laughs) I, you know, he comes out on top in this episode. He survives. He messes with them. Really, all that gets accomplished in this episode is that he successfully messes with them. Yeah. Like, it it introduces one of the, in my opinion, best side characters of the whole freaking series. Like, he's, he's so good. And just this, this episode is so good for whetting your appetite about him. And then having it end on a note where you know that, like, 
he's not actually dead is just perfect. Yeah. You get the impression that he will be back and he will, and it will be very, very wonderful. (laughs) We can't wait. Indeed. Is there anything else you want to say on this episode? I enjoyed this episode so much. Like having an excuse to rewatch it twice was like perfect for me. (laughs) It's a bright, fun episode with actually surprisingly a lot of heart. And in such a dark season, like, because the earlier seasons really are tone wise, they're so heavy Mm -hmm. that like when you do get these like rare episodes that are just like this just sunburst of comedy and and funny moments you just latch onto them and Mm -hmm. it's it's one of the one of the most delightful episodes of the season I think oh I think so and I think it makes sense where it's situated like from here we're headed into really the special children arc is going to kick right back in we are going to have some we have some heavy hitters of episodes coming we have some really interesting revelations about sam we have this arc is going to start bending towards the finale of season two which which is is, oh which is like to date i will say the season two finale is and i'm not counting season 15 here it is the mm-hmm. finale that makes that made made me the most emotional the first time I watched it of any finale. Like it's the top of yep. my list. Yeah, absolute number it's one. Gutting. It's a gutting finale, and it still holds I, up. It truly does. And honestly, like, not saying this hyperbolically, just genuinely, I think it might be the episode I've seen more than any other episode because I go back to watching it so much because Jensen just fucking ate that episode and he he was so good and and Dean is like one of my favorite characters and so you really get oh you got you guys got a great great episode coming up in a few yeah. weeks I'm sure for yeah. that excited for a very very excited for the end of this season and yeah creeping our way creeping our way toward uh the gay angel yep <sighs> we're coming for you Cass we're coming we can't avoid spoilers we got to talk about cast every episode it's it's in our contract it's actually obligated (laughs) yeah we we have to acknowledge the gay angel at least once per episode in order to qualify for our supernatural card (laughs) (laughs) yeah um so that is the end of our show today um you can listen to driver picks the podcast wherever you get your podcasts if you are listening to us we would love if you would rate the show or write us a review um that helps more people find us we're so grateful to all of you who are listening um feel free to come talk to us on social media the link to all of that is in the show notes um elena do you want to share where people can find you on the internet Ah, uh-huh, yes. Um, so I can typically be found on the Twitter at, at Elena May, um, where I am usually liking Dean Cass hourly tweets and uh, posting about my writing. Um, and I am also on TikTok as Dusty Elena, um, which is spelled exactly how it sounds. Um, and yeah, I'm usually posting about guess what on that channel. Um, <laughs> We will link there. We will link to both of those accounts in the show notes as well. Yeah. Yeah. And (laughs) this was so fun. Thank you again for having me. I really love getting to just come on here and chat about all this stuff with you. (laughs) Thank you for coming. I'm excited to have you back. If you're interested at some point, I, yeah, I would love to have you back. (laughs) It's, it's less a matter of if, and more a matter of when. (laughs) Good. (laughs) Wonderful. I can't wait. Next week, 
We have back one of our favorite guests, KJ from Supernatural Opinions, and we will be discussing season two, episode 16, Roadkill, through the theme of peace. Thank you to all of our listeners for coming along for the ride, and we wish you a peaceful road until we meet again. A note to our listeners, this episode was recorded prior to our season three name change, where we went from Driver Picks the Podcast to Saving People, Queering Things. For all of our new social media platforms, visit queeringthingspodcast.com.